Welcome to Church on the Rock tonight, here out here from Southeast Texas and our life-shaped prayer and discipleship. I want to thank all of you that are joining with us wherever you may be tonight. Listen, I know that God has a plan for your life, okay? And He is determined. He has a determination. He set His mind on changing your life so that He can use you to change other lives all around you. And so open up your hearts. And, and for those of you that are listening tonight, or perhaps you're watching this, you know, a second or third or a fourth time, uh, just so that you can get the information down and make sure that you know what to say because you're teaching a group yourself. I just want to thank you for being so faithful to do that. And I want to remind you as well that if you need these materials translated into uh, your native language, okay, make sure that you contact us again. Uh, we are busily doing the very best we can now and also for the future to make sure that we can give every person who wants it around the world an opportunity to make disciples. One of the great callings of the Great Commission to go into all the world and as we go into our world to make disciples of all nations, okay? And uh, we want to provide those materials for you. So don't forget to visit the website ifmypeoplewill.com ifmypeoplewill.com, okay, and you can access the materials there, and also there's a place where you can contact us if you need any help for anything. You can download free training materials, and um, also the videos are there, okay? God bless you. And tonight, we have a very special uh, um, glimpse that we're going to take at our future. You know, our first module, our first 12 lessons was on redemption. Our second 12 on the new creation realities. The first module told us how to get saved and what saved was all about and how in the world do we get born again. The next one told us what we get when we get saved. And the third module is all about what God requires of us and what we can do for God since he has saved us. But we're in the fourth module now, and this is lesson number eight. Module four is all about the future. And lesson eight is on the millennial reign, the millennial reign of Christ, that thousand-year reign of Christ when he will rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. You might say, well, well, Pastor, you know, why is it important that I even know these things or that I'm exposed to them? Or why is it important that we even read these things? Well, if for no other reason the Bible says Jesus said this, if for no other reason, this is why. He said, blessed are those who hear the prophecies that are written in this book. Well, you know, that's one of the blessings that God offers us. One of the blessings that Jesus said was available to the saint is if they would just listen to the prophecies that are written in the book of Revelation. If you could just hear what is going on in the future, it would add blessing to your life. If for no other reason, that's important. But it's also important, I believe, for each one of us to at least be exposed to the solid and, and, and eternal doctrines of the church. And this millennial reign is a doctrine of the church. It is something that we believe as a church is going to happen. And uh, there's no reason for you to be ignorant of the facts. Now, 
We're going to start with a very interesting scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which of course we know as the love chapter. You know, this love chapter tells us all about the love of God and how the love of God, you know, uh, uh, is and what we should do and how we should be as we walk in love with one another. But also the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 in uh, verse number 9, Listen to what he said. I'm reading this from the New Living Translation, so it may read a little bit different than some of you are used to. It reads a little different than what I'm used to, but it explains the same thing. And uh, for, for, for some ways, it makes it, uh, the explanation even a little more clear. The Apostle Paul said this to the church in Corinth. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. You know, for we know in part and we prophesy in part is what that scripture says in the King James. You see, our knowledge is partial. We know only a part. And even prophecy reveals only a part, only a partial glimpse of all that will be. This is what the Apostle Paul is trying to get the church at Corinth to understand because the church at Corinth was a very spiritual church and they loved spiritual things. And sometimes people who are born again and in love with Jesus and, and, and know the word of God and pray all the time and, and speak in tongues and prophesy, sometimes they can imagine that they know a lot. Well, the Apostle Paul was wanting to make sure they understood that, you know, you may know a lot, but listen, you don't know everything because we only have been given partial knowledge and our knowledge is incomplete. Even prophecy reveals an imperfect or incomplete picture of, uh, of, of everything that will happen. Verse 12, uh, he, he re reiterates this. He says, now we see things imperfectly. The King James says, now we see through a glass darkly. Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. He's talking about a time in the future, a day in the future that we will see everything clearly. He goes on to say, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. Now, this is this apostle, the apostle Paul, who had great revelation, who was taught by the Lord himself, as we understand, and, 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 and learned many things. Jesus spoke to him as one born out of time. He was caught up into the third heavens, and he saw things that, that, that were unlawful for men to even speak of. And yet he's saying here that all I know, all that I know is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. You know, I shall know, I, I will see him as he is, and I will know everything then fully. I will have complete knowledge. You see, the Apostle Paul was the first to admit that he did not know everything. And especially everything concerning the last days as he's speaking here. And I must echo that sentiment as well tonight and attest to the fact that, that God has not made the future completely clear to any of us at this point in time. 
I know a lot of people have charts and a lot of people beat their fist on tables and a lot of people are very legalistically uh, 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 um, you know, strong and dogmatic about what will happen in the end time. Some people even have the dates down, but so far the church has been wrong every time it has set a date for the return of Christ or, or for something to begin. And it's simply because we catch dimly lit truths. We, we, we catch dimly lit glimpses, if you will, of things to come. We hear prophecies and we do gain revelation. Believe me that we are knowing more. We do uh, receive prophecies. We do receive revelation. But as of now, we still see an imperfect picture through uh, because the Bible says we're looking, as it were, through a haze. We're looking through as, as though we were looking in a cloudy mirror. And that's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be afraid of. It's nothing to make us insecure. Yet the glimpses that we catch are amazing and wonderful. And they, they, are, they are these sights which give us a framework for the days ahead. You know, we don't know everything, but we have a framework in which to understand what we do know. You see, we know that Jesus has gone away to prepare a place for us in heaven. We know that. That's, that's you know, not debatable, not arguable. We believe that. And we know that Jesus is coming again in a cloud to receive us unto himself. We know that. We just don't know when. <laughs> no one knows when. We see through this cloud as, as though it were a haze. We understand some things and some things we don't. We know that the church is both the body and the bride of Christ, but we don't really understand how that happens, you know. We know that there will be a tribulation period and a great tribulation period, but again, we're not certain exactly how these things are going to unfold and what the book of Revelation really holds in store as it unfolds. We know that Jesus will return to earth with his armies and, and defeat the Antichrist, but we do not understand what weapons they're going to use or how they're going to actually fight. I mean, are angels going to lay hold on angels? Could we hold on to an angel? I mean, they're spirits. I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to come back with him. Should he tarry and I pass, you know, and, and, uh, but yet how shall I fight? I don't know, but I do know that he's coming back with armies of angels and saints to fight. You know, I have that framework, but I don't understand how it's going to happen. We know that Jesus will rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years, but exactly you know, uh, how that's going to happen is a little foggy. And we know that Satan will be released after that thousand years to deceive the nations, and he will deceive many. But I can't imagine how anyone at that point in time would follow the devil, having been ruled by Jesus for a thousand years. I just can't fathom that. I don't understand it, but I know that it will happen. We know that God is going to completely destroy the earth and he will reestablish a new heaven and a new earth, but we don't really understand fully what we're going to be doing in this new heaven and new earth. We, we have some theories, we have some imaginations, but no one knows exactly what we're going to be doing for eternity. You see, we know a whole lot but we really understand very little. However, what we do understand is powerful. 
So tonight we're going to take another cloudy look into this dimly lit future. And we're going to describe the images that we do see. And we're going to uh, have, uh, you know, make these things reasonably visible from the many descriptions, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, concerning this very specific period of time, this thousand years, that we call the millennial reign of Christ. And we may note that uh, one concern, by the way, of the Jews, one concern uh, that one reason the Jews did not accept Jesus as Messiah and even have trouble today accepting him as Messiah is because they have been taught by their prophets and by their teachers and rabbis to expect that when Jesus comes, he will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. He will rule and reign the earth with a rod of iron. And anybody that, that crosses him is in trouble. And they did not see this when Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth, was persecuted, meek and mild, and he was, in, in, in their minds, you know, uh, killed, and his plan was defeated. He did not ascend to the throne of David. And so that's why they have trouble, not realizing that their own prophets described this Messiah, even in Isaiah 53, as a suffering Messiah that would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He would be chastised for our peace. And uh, all, of, all of our sin would be laid on him, and he would bear the iniquity of us all. He would be a man despised and rejected of many. And he would be acquainted with sorrows, you know, and filled with grief, Isaiah declared. And many other prophets gave a picture of first a suffering Messiah and then a reigning Messiah. And this millennial reign of Christ is a picture of what the Jews have been taught about this king, this Messiah that would come. It's a picture, as I said, of this millennial reign of Christ. You see, the last time that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he entered into Jerusalem meek and mild, riding a little donkey. Okay? He entered in very humble and without any defense. He did not even open his mouth when he was challenged and whenever he was judged. This was not their picture of their Messiah. However, the next time Jesus entered in, enters into Jerusalem, which is in our future, the next time he enters in, he will not be on a little donkey, meek and mild. He will be on a great white horse, king of kings and lord of lords written on his thighs and uh, fire in his eyes and a, and a, and a, and a two-edged sword from his mouth and he will bring an army of his angels and saints and and recompense vengeance upon the earth conquering all who would stand in his way without question the reigning king of kings and the lord of lords you see at the last trumpet the dead in Christ shall rise and we which are alive and remain we shall be changed. Now, there will be some period of time, I don't know how much, between the dead rising at the last trumpet and us being changed. And there will be some time between the dead rising and us being changed and Jesus setting his feet down upon the Mount of Olives and it parting and him bringing with him, you know, his saints and his angel armies and, 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 and defeating the Antichrist. How do I know that it'll be some time? Well, uh, because the Bible tells us there will be some time. I don't know how much time. 
you know, perhaps seven years to agree with the pre-tribulation rapture theory. And it is a theory, by the way. Only one of them can be true. Perhaps three and a half years in order to accommodate the mid-tribulation, or perhaps uh, only a few milliseconds, you know, to, to, to accommodate some other theories. Or, 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 uh, you know, but the reason we know there will be some time is because the Bible says that the dead in Christ rise, then we which are alive and remain, and then we are caught up into the air to be with Christ. And so if he's going to immediately set his feet upon the Mount of Olives, then we meet him in the air before then. Even if it's only milliseconds, okay, uh, to accommodate some theories, uh, nonetheless, there will be some moment... Uh, before he wages war against the Antichrist and utterly defeats him. But in that war, in that last great war, the book of Revelation tells us, this devil and his angels will be bound and thrown into a bottomless pit, and the gate will be locked, and he will be held captive there for a thousand years. And at that time, Jesus will enter into Jerusalem. This is after the tribulation period. He will enter into Jerusalem and he will sit on the throne of David. He will not go back into heaven and sit upon the throne of God with his heavenly Father, but rather he will enter into Jerusalem and sit upon the throne of David, the throne of his glory, the Bible also calls it, at that time. And, and some people even believe that this is a time that Jesus will, will separate the goats and the sheep and, 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 and he'll put them on either side. And, and you know, and, and uh, as, as well, many believe that this will be the the fulfillment of the prophecy in Psalms 2, Isaiah 2, and Micah 4. We do not have time tonight in order to go into those particular prophecies, but that's Psalms 2, that's Isaiah 2, and Micah chapter 4, fulfilling the prophecy of Zion being this place where the, where the, where the king of kings would sit and there that the law would go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem as though this water from underneath this throne of Christ's glory in Jerusalem were spreading out to the east and to the west and filling the earth with His glory. Fulfillment of prophecies. However it happens, Jesus nonetheless will be sitting on His throne in Jerusalem atop Mount Zion, and from there he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Prayerfully and studiously peering through the sometimes dimly lit clouds of these prophecies, let me tell you, I can see a city. I can clearly see a city set on a hill where Jesus is the king sitting on the throne of His glory in Jerusalem, in all Judea. It's Mount Zion, and it's lifted up above the nations so that the Word of God and the law of God goes forth from that throne, as I said, reaching all the world and, and carried out by these waters that flow from His throne, both east and west. And, and there are other thrones we can clearly see. There are other thrones there with 
the throne of David that Jesus is on. And these other thrones are at least occupied by the 12 apostles and perhaps other saints who will sit judging the 12 tribes of Israel and all the nations of the earth. Let's look, if we would, here at Matthew chapter 19, our key scripture. So Jesus said to them, in verse 28, speaking here to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration... When the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Do you note this word regeneration? Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, this particular Greek word regeneration is where we also get the word Genesis from. Literally, it means a new birth, a new beginning, a new Genesis. In fact, if you wanted to literally translate it, as many do, it means Genesis again. And for those of you who follow me, assuredly I say, in this Genesis again, in this regeneration, in this new birth, in this new beginning, the saints of God will be with Jesus in this holy city and they will enter in as Jesus sits on his throne as the tree of life in this new Genesis, many imagine it to be a Garden of Eden environment, a regenerated earth under, if you will, some bubble where Jerusalem and Judea are blessed above all nations of the earth, protected, covered from where Christ reigns all nations of the earth. And outside of that city, there will be those living who have survived the tribulation period without being killed and as well those who did not receive Christ as Lord and Savior, who have not yet submitted their lives unto Jesus as Messiah or unto God as Creator. Look with me if you would at Revelation 22. Blessed are those who do His commandment, verse 14 says, that they may have right to the tree of life, that they may have access to the tree of life, speaking of Jesus, and may enter through the gates into that city, into that city where the tree of life sits on the throne of David. Blessed are those who can enter that city. Why? Because verse 15 says, outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murders and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. You see, life will be hard on planet earth, even during the millennial reign. Life will be hard and harsh outside of that protected and blessed city, which Jesus is setting up where his throne will be and where he rules and reigns and where his saints are loved and protected and where he is, is, is Messiah and King an undisputed ruler of the earth. Outside, people will continue to have trouble, and yet they will continue to have opportunity to submit themselves to God and to worship Christ as the King. But many, even in the millennial, will refuse to submit themselves to God. How do we know? Zechariah 14 says this in verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, speaking of the Messiah, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. You see, everyone living outside who has not submitted themselves will still be required to come up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles each year and to worship this King of glory sitting on His throne in Jerusalem. 
Verse 17 says, And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. You see, uh, there will be those who will refuse to obey this king of all the earth, even as he sits in his glory on the throne of David, ruling the nations with a rod of iron in this protected and blessed area of Judah and Jerusalem, which shall be lifted up above the other nations. Blessings, the Bible says, and holiness shall be her pots. There will be, as it were, this, forgive me for using this word, but this bubble of holiness and blessings, okay? This area, this protected over Jude and Jerusalem, and all who worship the king will be welcome to dwell there. Let's look at Revelation 20 as we begin to end tonight. Revelation 20, maybe this will explain it better than, than uh, what I've been able to in this time. Verse 1, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. And he seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. Now this is immediately after the tribulation. An angel comes from heaven, binds the devil, Satan, and casts him into this bottomless pit for a thousand years. Verse 3, this angel threw him into the bottomless pit which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while, for a season, for a moment. Verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and I saw souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his stature, nor accepted his mark on their forehead or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection for them the second death holds no power. But they will be priests of God and Christ of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison and he will go about to deceive the nations. And you can read the rest of that and find out if he does or not and what God does about it. In brief, he deceives many, leads a charge at the end of that thousand years, against the kingdom of Christ on earth, against the kingdom of the Messiah and His glorious throne in Jerusalem and all Judea. And God melts the earth with a fervent heat, putting an end to all rebellion. This brings us to our important points for tonight. Our important points, number one, although we do not know everything, we understand some things, and those things are powerful and precious. We don't know everything, but what we know is powerful, and the framework we have is precious. Important point number two, God has commanded His blessings on those who read and hear the prophecies of this book. So tonight, you are blessed just for having read and heard the prophecies of this book. Point number three, Satan will be defeated at the end of the Great Tribulation and will be bound and cast into the bottomless pit. 
It will be locked up and he cannot escape until released. Verse four, uh, number four, important point number four. Jesus will set up his kingdom on the earth and Jesus will reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. He'll rule with a rod of iron. He will be the undisputed king of the earth. Important point number five. During this time, all who have accepted Jesus as Messiah will rule and reign as kings and priests on the earth with Christ for a thousand years. You will reign as kings and priests on the earth. Number six, then, after the thousand years, Satan will be released for a short season and he will deceive the nations once again and gather them to battle against King Jesus. And then our last point, important point number seven, God will finally put an end to all rebellion and destroy the earth with a fervent heat. Then will come the great white throne judgment, which we'll learn about next week. God bless you. Jesus is coming to reign upon the earth.